Hey Flannel Nation, Matthew here. This week's episode is going to be a little different. We had an amazing discussion about some very serious issues with a terrific guest. So amazing, in fact, that we ended up running way over our usual time. Because we didn't want to lose any of our conversation, we've decided to split this one up. About the first half is in the episode you're hearing now, and we'll release the rest early next week. That's right, this is our first two-part episode ever. We hope you enjoy all of it. Here's the show. But the question is, how do you get there? Do you get there by confrontation, violence? Oh, is that the question you were asking? Yeah. See, that's, I mean, that's another thing. When you talk about a revolution, most people think violence. Um, without realizing that the real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for, not in the way you reach them. On the other hand, uh, because of the way this society is organized, because of the violence that exists on the surface everywhere, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. You have to expect things like that as reactions. If you are a black person and live in, 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 in the black community all your life and walk out on the street every day seeing white policemen surrounding you, I, when I was living in Los Angeles, for instance, long before the situation in L.A. ever occurred, uh, I was constantly stopped. No, the, the, the police didn't know who I, who I was, but I was a black woman. I had, had a natural, and, and they, I suppose, thought that I might be a, quote, militant. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, um, uh, and, then, and then you ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Liquid Flannel Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I am Chuck Williams. Normally joining me in Nebraska is Brendan Williams, but Brendan is off camping. He's on vacation again. Boo! He came back for one, you know, <laughs> he came back for one week, and I think that was too much for him. He's like, I got to get away from these dudes again. Dude, <laughs> so who wants to spend kidding. time with their family anyway? Families is terrible. Especially... <laughs> After the severe weather that we've been having, he's like, man, I don't care about them tornadoes. I just need to <laughs> get off the mic. So, no. You know, I should have uh, probably, I'd go but, camping more if I didn't live in St. Louis, where we're surrounded by three right. rivers. So there's mosquitoes everywhere. Do some, and I'm already covered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Brendan, we miss you. Have fun out there with the fam. But keeping us balanced in Arlington, Texas, as usual, is the great Matthew Hodges. Matt, how's it going, bud? Oh, it's going good. I, I don't know if I'm keeping you balanced exactly, but uh, yeah, no, this is a... I'm really looking forward to this conversation we're about to have. I'm going to try to uh, just ask questions and listen, um, because we're talking sure. about some pretty serious stuff on this episode, I think. That's, that's very true. Some very serious stuff. Serious stuff is always happening. But we also are able to lighten it up a little bit with some outside perspective. And that perspective this week is coming from another great guest. Matt, why don't you uh, introduce D Black to the audience? Yeah, here? definitely. So we have a guest uh, this week. He is, um, I mean, if you're on Reddit, you might know him uh, because he, he is blown up in pretty much every thread having to do with racial justice. He has no patience for this kind of rise of like alt whiteism that's going on um d black rabbit thank you for joining us on liquid flannel hey what's up thanks man yeah black power <laughs> that's right <laughs> every minute every hour. every hour how's it going out there how's it going man uh, it's going pretty good excellent excellent you know i think it's interesting that this is a this is probably the first episode that we've had that's a minority majority uh, crew talking about stuff. That's right. That's right. I'm finally feeling empowered here <laughs> to say, in the words of the blackest white guy ever, Barry Manilow, looks like we made it. No, I do believe we so. are all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. Um, 
So yeah, while we're up, we'll talk about a whole bunch of heavy stuff. I definitely wanted to get into the um, verdict from the Philando Castile case that came out about a week ago. Um, and we had some um, interesting subjects in terms of gerrymandering. Isn't that right, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's this case going up in front of the Supreme Court about how the Republican Party can gerrymander their districts. And this is going to have some pretty serious ramifications for race relations or race, racial representation in this country, for sure. So it's, it's a, keep it on a theme. Absolutely. And staying with that theme, but taking that theme across the pond, we also get into that uh, UK, well, the London Council flat burned down. What was the name of that again? Uh, It's uh, Grenfell Towers. Grenfell Towers. Grenfell Towers. We want to talk about that a little bit, too. Yeah, not exactly a high note, but kind of a like a high rise note. I guess. It, it's an important crescendo to the subject of racial justice, institutional racism, and how sometimes the outcome can be more negative than the terror attacks that have happened in London recently combined. So, yeah. you know, it's definitely going to be an, a different type of episode, but I think it's definitely going to be some good conversation, some good information, and uh, a chance for everyone to learn a little bit. So... I'm looking forward to it. How about you guys? Yes, sir. Yay. Yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> right. Well, that's enthusiastic enough for us to just jump right in. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Nowhere in the world do you die from being honest and telling the truth. Now, these are some things that you need to know and recognize. There has always been a systemic problem in the state of Minnesota, and me thinking with my common sense that we would get justice in this case but nevertheless it never seems to fail us the system continues to fail black people and they will continue to fail you all all right so at the end of last week there was a verdict in the philando castile murder up in minnesota in the twin cities right should we talk a little bit about exactly what happened there yeah, yeah, we should probably back it up for the fans. Um, about it, I think it was a year ago, Philando Castile, yeah. who was um, a staff member at a Montessori school up in Minnesota, was driving with his girlfriend at the time and his daughter, three-year-old daughter, and was pulled over by police officer um, Geronimo Yanez and was stopped apparently because... He was looked like someone that matched the description of a robbery. Yanez asked him for his ID. Based on him having a broad nose, I think was a broad what nose got called in, which is code for something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know <laughs> what could it be. No, the robber so, yeah. had a really good sense of smell. You guys, that's Ex- that was all exactly. it was. That dude looks like he's got the same toucan Sam abilities over <laughs> here. So you know, uh, so the, anyways, Yanez pulls this guy over. You know, Philando tells him, hey, I just need you to know that I am carrying a gun. I have a concealed and carry uh, license for this gun. And the officer gets agitated, says, you know, don't pull it out. I guess that was kind of up for debate in terms of how the exchange went, but ends up shooting at him like seven times, hitting him five times and killing him and his girlfriend live streamed the entire thing on facebook Uh or live streamed after the shooting so it was pretty graphic did you guys see that when when it came out the video of that at all or (laughs) you know i'm not the kind of person that normally does that like watches those kind of things but something about it i just needed to see it and it was pretty horrific it was pretty graphic and thinking that there was a child in the back seat just keeps blowing my mind to this day. So, uh, I think I was doing my daily like Facebook check to see what's going on with everyone's live. When uh, mm-hmm. I just noticed there was a live stream from one of my friends, and I was like, eh, let's find out what happens. And so apparently mm-hmm. she was just oh, sharing this, and I'm oh, like, oh, shoot. oh no. Yeah. 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 Oh no is freaking right. Man. So, you know, after that, I mean, this was the one that I was kind of, 
more curious about, and in particular because you have Second Amendment issues at play, you have um, race issues obviously at play here. This man has had been stopped over like three or four dozen times in a span of like yeah, five it was like to ten years. Fifty five. I mean, traffic stops in like the past ten years or something like that. Yeah, with no convictions, just bringing people to court. Part of that criminal justice system of having to pay out fines and right. all those kind of little nickel and dime bullshit things. But other than that, had no legal issues whatsoever. And uh, he, was a, he was like a school lunch lady, right? I mean, he worked with kids. Yeah, like he was a cafeteria uh, staff, you know, lunchroom supervisor. Everybody loves him at the school, all the kids, you know, the parents. Everybody seems to love this guy. And, you know, but at the trial, Officer Yanez had said that none of this would have happened if he hadn't been high on marijuana and that Yanez was scared for his life. So I guess it came out after the guy was dead, obviously, that, you know, he tested positive for marijuana, which wasn't a very big surprise because, you know, his girlfriend mentions it on the video at some point. Right. But it obviously doesn't say anything to whether or not he was high at the time, you know. But, you know, well, and also the I mean, the story as recounted by the news and I think in court also was simply that, you know, he was he was out of the car and reaching for his or was he was he in the car? Or he out was of the car? in the car. He was in the car. He was in the I car and reaching for his license. Buckled. He was still buckled up. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know, reaching for his license and the cop panics and, and shoots him. I mean. A, a trained police officers know something about people who are high on weed. Um, if if he even knew that at that point, um, and mm. you know, like if if it was announced earlier that he had a weapon, you know, officer, I just want to let you know. Essentially, what it sounds like is he did literally everything right, and right. he still ended up dead. Yeah, because anybody that actually wants to use a weapon on someone isn't going to telegraph that move like, hey, I have a weapon here. Right. I mean, I mean, obviously you can't use that, but um, it was it's just outlandish. And yeah, so acquitted on all charges just. uh, Yeah. Just a few days ago. Yeah. Acquitted on all charges. And, you know, there's been demonstrations from Black Lives Matter. I think they shut down an interstate between St. Paul and Minneapolis uh, this past weekend. Right. So, um, yeah, it's it, – I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm a little bit speechless on this. It, it's been pretty frustrating just kind of processing all of that. Because... No, man, you're good. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, it raises so much of, you know, what we've talked about earlier on the show, what's going on in politics generally right now. I think it's a really – I mean, obviously a tragic demonstration of exactly what Black Lives Matter stands for. And then this intersection with, uh, like, you know, gun gun rights folks is also, you know, there's just an interesting twist on the story. Yep. I don't know, D-Black, what, what were your reactions when you saw the, saw the verdict? I was speechless, but mostly because I kind of expected it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... In the back of my mind, I mean, you couldn't realistically be shocked, but it's just one of those situations where you're like, let's see how they rationalize it this time. And and each time you hear the basis, you just kind of I just kind of want to hit my head on the wall. Well, I, I mean, don't I don't think that the reaction was not to be shocked. I mean, right. You know, the the incredibly cynical perspective on this is that like he was a black man interacting with a police officer with an itchy trigger finger. Of course, he's dead now. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, the like the evidence seemed so clear in this case that this was an overreach on the part of law enforcement, uh, that it was a completely unjustified use of lethal force, that even the Federalist, uh, which is not on the side of Black Lives Matter most of the time, <laughs> publish an op-ed just in the past couple of days talking about, I mean, the the title of this was, the acquittal verdict in the Philando Castile case is an abomination. 
I mean, you don't get oh, really? stronger language than that. The inherent wow. problem is okay. that there's no way to get a jury that doesn't have at least one person who, no matter what a cop does, will just assume the cop's right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's not helpful when you've got, you know, a, a jury that's mostly white in one of these cases. Not only that, 10 white people, the two people of color on the jury were young people of color, and one of them was an Ethiopian or uh, Ethiopian American or son of Ethiopian immigrants, I believe. So someone that possibly doesn't even understand, you know, the historical dynamic and institutional racist relationship between, you know, police and people of color. Right. But yeah, I mean, to considering the fact that the two people in the situation were people of color and yet the jury is predominantly not people of color, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that that's not surprising, (laughs) but the other thing, though, that is a little bit frustrating is the fact, not even the fact that they would acquit him and maybe buy into the high on marijuana or whatever, you know, whatever BS that the defense puts out there. <laughs> yeah, it's also the, a thing that totally justifies lethal force, by the way. That's why stoners right. get shot all the time. It, right. All it's the, the fact that... <laughs> there's right. gay yeah. bodies everywhere. Right. It's like, (laughs) I almost have a problem with these things even going to a trial by jury because a juror is immediately going to think, well, yeah, that's a scary situation. If I was a police officer, I'd be scared all the time dealing with people. Look at this black guy. Black guys are scary. It gives gives them a pass to say, as long as you're afraid, you can use lethal force as your first resort. I mean, we we don't allow firefighters... We don't allow people that are afraid of fire to become firefighters and put other people's lives at risk and then say, okay, well, just shoot your way out next time. I mean, that's not the thing. It's if, if you're too scared to be in a position, you're not you know, qualified to be in that position. But people are going to allow you to have the pass of saying, well, he was really scared in that moment and realized at that time that maybe this isn't right for him. But he right. killed someone, you know. Well, so. and that's that's exactly what the uh, what the prosecutor, the lead prosecutor on the case, brought up when they decided to bring charges against this officer. Um, said that here here's a quote: "To justify the use of deadly force, it is not enough, however, for the police officer to merely express a subjective fear of death or great bodily harm. Unreasonable fear cannot justify the use of deadly force." I mean, that was that was explicit in the charges that they brought against him. Right. So it's like saying, well, that's a reasonable fear because he's black and has a gun. You know, it's like the Second Amendment only the Second Amendment is white privilege. I'm just going to say it. No, I'm just You know, like it just feels like there's no point of even getting a gun licensed as a person of color because you're going to be seen as the bad guy or the threat or the terrorist with that gun. So you might as well save yourself 40 bucks at the licensing price or whatever <laughs> and just get the gun and spend it on bullets, you know. Well, and isn't I mean, that true? I mean, some of the earliest gun laws that were passed in this country were as a response to uh, the Black Panthers and some other uh, black um, like community organizations in the 60s and 70s saying, look, we need to be armed. We're not safe. And right. all of a sudden you had all of these... Uh, all these gun laws going into place, you know, licensing requirements and classes and extra taxes and stuff like that, just to make sure the black folk weren't able to carry a weapon. Like the uh, Bradbury law in California, the one that doesn't allow you to openly brandish a gun, was sponsored by the NRA and Reagan after the Panthers had basically set up in that uh, town hall, I think it was a town hall. And not, mm-hmm. not like kicked everyone out and just took the town hall. No, they're just standing in the town hall with a gun. Yeah. You know, something that white people can do at freaking airports or at, you know, post offices, anywhere. I mean, in Houston at a, at a fake protest for a, a <laughs> fake uh, Antifa teardown of a Confederate monument that wasn't a Confederate yeah. monument to begin with. Oh, yeah. You know. God bless Houston. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, that is, it's just, 
I mean, it's double standard. It shouldn't be shocking. I, I understand that. It's just, I'm almost getting tired of it, like fatigued by it. So, you know, when, when these verdicts come out, it's like when the actual incident happens, it kind of feels like you've been attacked a little bit. I mean, but then a year later when you've almost forgotten about it and then that verdict comes out, it's like you're, you're experiencing it again, you know? Right. I don't know. Well, in D Black, I'm, I'm curious about your perspective on that too, because uh, Chuck lives in Nebraska, which is deeply conservative, but doesn't have as maybe ex- as explicit a racial divide um, in its politics as someplace like St. Louis does, um, where you know there was. I mean, it's not that redlining didn't happen in Omaha, but um, it's it's just a smaller community. Um, where it's not quite as pronounced as St. Louis. So I'm curious about, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. I'm also curious about, you know, what is the, like, what's the temperature on like outrage versus fatigue at this point? The temperature is back down to fatigue. It's almost always goes back down to fatigue. There's like, Mm -hmm. there's been, there was like four this weekend. Like there's no way to, Right, right. Be this angry this long. That doesn't yeah. involve burning something down. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, yeah St. Louis is pretty, pretty segregated. Like that, mm. it, it comes up every so often that people in St. Louis ask you what high, which high school you go, went to, and effectively, yeah. since mm. there's like twenty billion principalities, like in towns in the county. <laughs> and even mm-hmm. more school districts that kind of uh it becomes your label for your social status like whether or not you went to Ridner mm. or to slew high or to or uh, normandy Patton. district or yeah 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 you know i mean uh i think it was this american life had a great uh, series about that in terms when the whole Michael Brown situation happened, talking about the schools and, and including the school he went to. And I believe it might have been the Normandy district or it was maybe a district close to I that. Is that right? Nor- Normandy or... district. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just kind of went through what the school is like there and the fact that, you know, the district had received like what was it, a zero accreditation or something like that at some point? It was pretty abysmal. I believe it lost his accreditation. Just completely. Right, yeah. So then they changed it, and the story was instead of losing the accreditation, they changed it so that it was no accreditation status, which meant that kids that were in that district could didn't necessarily have the opportunity to get bust out of that district. Of because course. Oh, my initially, God, what a nice loophole. Right. When the accreditation was initially yanked, those kids were able at that point to be able to go to a school that wasn't failing. But then when they switched the classification to no accreditation versus unaccredited or something like that, then they're like, oh, well, now you've got to go back to Normandy or pay a bunch of money. Right. That's because the school they were supposed to integrate with, I can't remember it off the top of my head, uh, they were basically mm-hmm. right into the town at their little town hall meetings. Yeah. And there was literally yep. ideas like, wait a minute, what if we just start school at like five in the morning? So that right. <laughs> so that they don't bust who their kids. Clearly, as they're under 21, are children. Right. Torture right. the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Well, they're barely people. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's the thing. We don't really care about them because they're not our kids. I care about my kids. No, just, you know, <laughs> it's a horrible situation and it just kind of is yet one more layer on this institutionalized system that really disadvantages, disenfranchises impoverished people who happen to usually be people of color. And right. It's, right. It's, it's gross. So. You know, I'm sure there will be another verdict for another shooting that I forgot about here coming up pretty soon. So I'm just going to get in the gym and get worked up and ready to uh, be exasperated again. Yeah, so. you've got to you got to jet Lee that if it happens, because, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't carry a gun. Um, yeah, you got to you got to make yourself a weapon like officer. 
I have uh, a license to carry these homemade nunchucks that I made out of toilet paper <laughs> tubes. Uh, They're like, boom, don't the, move. Uh, don't do shooting. Yeah, you can't, can't do that either. Can't even have a Oh, gun. no. <laughs> please please tell me that's not a real thing, D-Black. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, I mean, now that, now that we've raised all these uh, issues, before we take a quick break here, I do want to say um, happy Juneteenth to everybody. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, we've been we've been hearing about it on the radio here because it was a thing that started in Texas. For people who aren't aware, Juneteenth is you know shortening of June nineteenth, uh, which is a, a remembrance of the day where the news of the Emancipation Proclamation finally effectively made its way to Texas. It took like two and a half years because. <laughs> the mail doesn't go through when you're in the Civil War. So, you know, this this has been a, a holiday here for a long time, and I think it's really important. All these uh, Texans are clapping themselves on the back of being, you know, aren't we so progressive we recognize Juneteenth as a holiday to remember that it didn't get to be celebrated for, like, 50 years there, you know, during Jim Crow. <laughs> like, they literally made it illegal for black people to celebrate this holiday that's supposed to be about yeah. you know the liberation of black people um so finally it's coming back around and that's that's a good thing but i think you know all of this lends a lot of context to what the meaning is of that holiday really yeah you know the moral of that story was they should have privatized the pony express so uh. so that news <laughs> so that news can travel faster and more efficiently <laughs> not be bogged down by government regulation and, you know it didn't get like lost in the mail or like the gas right lights, the gas light dimmed and then it just disappeared right yeah right <laughs> right <laughs> oh man yeah. all right well should we uh should we take a little break there yeah and we should come back cut it here stuff? and yeah, get pumped up for the next portion. That was my brother. That was my mentor. That was my father figure. That was everything. That man worked hard every single day, every birthday, every Christmas. He was the one that made sure I had gifts. He didn't deserve to die the way he did. And I will never have faith in this system. I will never have faith in this system. All right. Say what you're saying, D-Black. That's amazing. All right, so, but I'm going to the uh, secular student class, like, club and someone mm. else in the class is like i was on your side but i didn't want to be part of it and i'm like yeah i, I could see that i could see that happening and i'm like yeah uh, so he's like so that one girl was talking under her breath i'm like oh yeah i could hear it and i don't know why she thought that i can't forget we're in public <laughs> and i won't come around like i won't jump over these tables like these desks <laughs> right and snatch out the hair that is clearly horse hair in her head <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh my god. Enough of the white moderate. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Have some dude come up and be like, "Man, I wanted to help you, but yeah, it's like I think your uh, relative said that to my hanging great grandparents or something, you know. It's like uh, oh. there was another one, and I think this was a philosophy class and got to religion. Mm-hmm. And uh I believe if I remember correctly, the teacher was Etrian. Okay. And uh he didn't he did he did not like Muslims. Okay. <laughs> Something wow. about I think it has to do with eth- like the history of Ethiopia and Etria. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh he did not like Muslims, so he's just going wait, he's just starts saying all these really just off the wall things like uh things about uh infidels and re- mm-hmm. that whole religion of peace thing. Uh-huh. Bas- basically what Reddit I, believes about Islam. Yeah. Luckily <laughs> this time there was another black president, but there was an African, like there was an African student. Uh huh. And I can see him getting uncomfortable, so I literally had to go like, I had, I had to do this. Yeah. And so I'm like, that sounds terrible, and that doesn't sound right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then it becomes him and me in this class, just. Mm. It's like that scene in Aliens <laughs> with Vasquez <laughs> and that other guy. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of Aliens, it's just racist. <laughs> yeah yeah oh man <laughs> yeah that was the thing at you at at my school too a little bit was just um <laughs> the difference between african americans and people from africa that were at the university it was definitely definitely a different culture for sure 
and definitely a different idea in terms of who their allies or rivals are. Right. So I mean, to a certain yeah. extent, it's got to be right. I mean, for a for a black African or a black Caribbean um, coming over here without the you know the kind of cultural understanding of 300 years of institutional racism um it's not gonna i don't know like microaggressions aren't going to register uh the way they would for someone who was who was brought up in this country Am, am i off base there well it's it's a little bit more complicated than that because there's um i gotta be really careful because i don't want to say something and then this somehow ends up on Twitter, <laughs> and I get ad ad ad. Oh, we're we're oh, absolutely so posting I, this to Twitter, so don't so I worry. Would put a disclaimer: don't yeah. at me. <laughs> okay. But uh, there's about I can name about three. You could pretty much put like about three categories of people of African descent, especially in America. The major three would be people from the Caribbeans, mm-hmm. uh, Black Americans, and Af- like. Like African Americans, right. even though they're the, the words get interchangeable a lot, but sure. uh, so there's just different things that go with it, and it gets a little bit more complicated because, like, there's an intersection, especially between black and African interactions. Oh, sure. Of, I mean, it's uh, not like it's not like African blacks haven't also dealt with like white colonialism or you know the the same thing for uh, Caribbean blacks. You know, so I mean, there there is a lot of overlap in those interests. I I guess I would, all I meant was just the like the specific history of the United States, um, isn't oh, okay. isn't necessarily going to have carry the same weight with those populations as it would for black black Americans. With it comes uh, kind of a there's an intersection of racism and jingoism mm-hmm. to deal with. Huh. So we're together, but there. Like, sometimes you'll find black people who say, yeah, like, he is my black friend. And it's like, hey, I wouldn't got, like, uh, this chain from the African. And then you get into things like uh, Creoles yep. and the movie Harlem Nights. But it does lead to hilarity because I think uh, one of my friend's mom was, like, does a lot of traveling. And she's like, like we were talking, I think, about... Uh, like people not getting angry if you mistake them for another nationality, to which mm-hmm. I could explain to it's like it'd be like going to uh, Germany, and like there's a <laughs> there's like a, a German couple that comes up to you and is trying to get you to translate for uh, this guy, and this mm-hmm. guy is clearly uh, Creole. Yeah. <laughs> and so right. now you're looking at them like I what 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 do you expect for me to say? <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't speak grandma. I barely know the word grandma means something. <laughs> right. It's like you have better luck finding Bobby Boucher out here to get that translated. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> High quality H2O on that, but Well, no, that's that's kind of interesting too cuz uh, I lived for about a half a year in Belize and Belize is mm-hmm. very much a like a mixed um, community, you know, you've got uh, mestizos, you've got Caribbean blacks, you've got African blacks, you've got um, like basically like white uh, UK expats, and you have um, folks who have just kind of emigrate immigrated from like Mexico and Guatemala and and places like that. So it seems like there the community distinctions almost fall completely along linguistic lines, you know, like. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't interact with the people that we can't talk to, and that's a really interesting comparison to America. That's supposed to be this like melting pot of cultures and languages and um, different kinds of people, where that isn't happening or or hasn't happened. Yeah, it's both. It's isn't happening and hasn't happened. You know, it's not. Well, it does happen a little. That's why you get like things like cults code switching sure right where uh i know when i'm hanging out with uh my more blacker friends there's mm-hmm. a few things i might say more often mm. like using the n-word as a pronoun that's just this is what i do right well and, mm-hmm. and i know you from reddit too where i mean you are uh 
I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but you were way blacker on like Reddit in general than you are on Men's Lib. Like Men's Lib, I I I can feel it. I can feel you code switching in order to um, <laughs> you feel it. Like talk to I mean, because basically what you're doing is like chastising white guys. On where? <laughs> yeah, on, it, it, on men's it's lip. It's not really chastising. Well, it's no, I, but sometimes you do. What I'm saying is, like, I mean, there, there, is a, there is a legit criticism of men's lib that it mostly represents, like, white guy issues. As much as we can write into the mission statement or say over and over, like, we want to be intersectional, we want to represent men of all races, creeds, colors, orientations, you know, the the demographics of Reddit kind of lock us in, but every once in a while we do have that thread where you're basically getting, like, white-splained. Um, like, as a moderator, you're getting white-splained about black issues, and sometimes you do... <laughs> that pissed me off so you bad, know, dude. <laughs> sometimes you do let loose a little bit, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that, honestly. I, you know, I... I don't think we can. I don't think we can say that we're intersectional if we're not willing to, like, stick up for that uh, in the voices of the people that we're claiming to represent. Well, that's basically. I think that happens to every like umbrella movement. Is the fact that if the broader the like the movement, uh, a group for a certain type of movement gets, the more default it gets, and default in this situation that goes to white people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is how you get things like uh, black feminism and womanism, or lesbian feminism. Sure. Or you get into the whole like, or then you get into the black community, and it gets like the broader it gets for the black community, the more petri- like I'm trying to think of it, patriarchal it gets. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why you get situations like Shirley Caesar and the homosexuality thing. Even though black Twitter is wait, black Twitter is driven by a lot of LGBT black people. Yeah. Oh yeah, D Ray and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, and uh, D D Ray has been having his own problems lately. Doing really? a Katy Perry interview when apparently she's not like super popular for. I don't even know what she did. I just know Twitter's mad at her. Wait, what? Uh, I can explain it in a couple words. Okay. Uh, okay. A little while back, there was a music video. She was wearing cornrows. And gold ah, teeth. Okay. Right. She had a grill on. Yes. Well, I've also okay. noticed that the uh, the hmm. ancient Egyptian portion of Twitter is super mad at Katy Perry right now for the uh, Katy Patra <laughs> video. Okay. Um, what? No. What I'm oh, saying the, uh, is hotep? what I'm saying is the lady hotep. is like aggressively culturally insensitive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the thing DeRay's getting is kind of a. I gotta be careful because it is a lot more nuanced than I'm gonna say, but a lot of it is this backlash from the fact that it's Katy Perry, and Katy yeah. Perry did the thing that a lot of people do is when they go to apologize for especially appropriating things from black women, they don't go to talk to black women, they go talk to right. a black man yeah. because mm-hmm. effectively in the social hierarchy, black men, white women are about the same level. It wasn't Steve Harvey, mm-hmm. was it? Did she apologize to Steve Harvey? Oh, no. No. Okay. It was to Bill Cosby. <laughs> if that happened, around. no one would have known. Black, black people don't believe in Steve Harvey that isn't on Family Feud. She went up or to the original Kings Bill of Comedy. Well, everyone, everyone loves that. <laughs> Kevin Hart, she she talked down to him. So, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, basically she went on an apology tour, but she went to D-Ray Instead of like Joy Reid or uh, right, I don't think Melissa Harris Perry has something yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, it, it it's hard for me to say how much that bothers me, but I guess like on a scale of one to ten, the appropriation part that's something that's way more forgivable to me. It's like okay, you you may not know the rules because they're unspoken and very by region or whatever but yeah just be a little bit more sensitive about it in the future and it's all good i mean i don't know if she was like i mean remember when miley cyrus had a bunch of uh black women up on stage as her dancers right and it was like just like really taking like features from black women's bodies but not all black like the full body or something it, that that's 
that's one thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about the corn. If she, well, if Katy Perry went out there smoking Newports or something with cornrows, <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's no, like you tried too I'm, hard, I'm curious about that. Um, to the extent that you two guys separate or don't, um, mm-hmm. like, like black cultural appropriation from some of the more, I, I mean, just like real world more dire circumstances and and situations from race relations in this country so like katy perry appropriates cornrows versus philando castile gets shot and bleeds out and the the cop who shot him doesn't go to jail um do you see those as being materially different things do you see them as being like on a spectrum or you know, what what does that feel like to like compartmentalize? Like this is this is not like this is a problem, but it's not the problem that I'm focusing on. I guess is my question. I'm a, I'm a refer to D Black here. Uh, oh, you can go first. <laughs> no, I was saying I'm a refer to D Black here. Yeah. <laughs> so. For the most part, it's uh, it's like different con- waterways from a water source. Okay. So, you have different actual different levels of appropriation because you get the difference between like it's like the difference between Katy Perry having like wearing a tracksuit versus something like uh, I think Kyrie Jenner just basically mm. stole an entire outfit from a black fashion. Oh yeah, what was that? Group. That was the uh, the like the camouflage what? bathing suits and stuff. Where she started wearing them and they got super popular and then the Twitter account of the black woman who made those initially started tweeting all of her receipts like from her PR people and people freaked out because apparently they were making it about race and uh, (laughs) the original creator was like, no, it's not about race. It's like, she just stole my shit. But it is also about race because this is what we're starting to get into. I'm trying to think of insidious, insidious racism type deals. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Kyrie Jenner can do that because no one noticed this black woman's like store. Like, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, that same thing happened with, I think that, uh, either Michelle Obama or, uh, Beyonce mural on the side of a wall where a white guy literally took a picture from like a black woman and just put it on a, like a wall. And that's what became the news. Right. <laughs> right. Right. The, uh, problem is, is that cultural appropriation is less about the person so much as the entire system and results of it. Yeah, right. Kind of like the fruits of the labor of, you know, a person of color are meant to be shared and meant to be exploited. However, you know, the rewards that are reaped don't necessarily go to that person. It's like how the recipe for Jim Beam or was it Jack Daniels? Um, it turned out it was stolen from a black guy like what i didn't know that are you for real you didn't hear that okay hold on this is the this is the miracle of modern recording is that i can check this out real quick here yeah yeah totally Uh, no i'm pulling it up too yeah here we go daniel was taken in by a lay preacher and moonshine distiller named dan call and began learning the distilling trade from call and his master distiller nearest green sometimes sometimes spelled nearest an an enslaved african-american man who continued to work with him after emancipation. So, yeah, the right. recipe literally came from a black man. Yeah, so it's like, I'm sure that dude had family. I'm sure that that dude's family is not benefiting in any way, shape, or form from right. you know this empire. And I'm sure the children of the people that are benefiting are like, man, we're, we're great because our father did a great thing, and we're going to continue this line of greatness because it comes from our genes. Right. It comes from us. Yeah, well, you know? okay, so, so so just kind of by example, I think you guys answered my question that there isn't really any kind of a meaningful difference between this sort of uh appropriation, um the work or the create the the work or the creativity of people of color and the more you know, serious abuses of a racist system that we see um, with Philando Castile, with voter purging, um, with, you know, everything that the Black Lives Matter movement stands against, that it really is just kind of all of one big system. 
I yeah, I like I like the metaphor that D Black uses in terms of it being, you know, all off of one source of water, you know, the tributaries and the inlets and all those kind of things. It comes from one source and that one source is the devaluation of black life. Right. Whether it's we can extract, you know, labor from them or we can extract innovation from them. Or we can just kill them to make us feel, you know, safer in the yeah. street or something. And like then you that. get to, all... and then you get to go on Reddit and say, like, what it, was black civilization ever created? You know, like all of the all of the good things in the world got invented by white people. It's like you right. simplistic dumbass. Like well, th- even that's... stuff that I enjoy. You know, like when I drive to Colorado and get a chance to go into a dispensary out there, it's not lost on me. The fact that all the people behind the counter that are assisting me are white people and they're the ones that are making money and looking like entrepreneurs and great things, while the majority of the people that are sitting in jail over dispensary type things are people of color. I mean, right. you know, and that's something I enjoy, yeah. you know, so. Well, and that, that carries over to some other things, too. I mean, uh, you know, you see, I don't know. Everybody loves a hit on Gwyneth Paltrow, right? So I'm going to do it too. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow will post some recipe about uh, this thing that she did with strawberries, but no mention is made of the Latino workers who are out in the fields picking strawberries. Like they're out there for 12 hours a day picking like a carton of strawberries for pennies a carton. You know, there's yeah, no pe- there's yeah. no health insurance. There's no like reliable wage for them if the crop is bad like their kids go hungry you know right right yeah i think a better a really good example is of course heel of cells the what because there's an there's an entire medical industries based off of this like all of these cells from the henrietta oh right Mm -hmm. and i don't think she got an apology i could be wrong this could be totally corrected or rather, the next one, you guys just yeah. shunned me. But you know, I, I haven't watched got an the apology. Movie yet, so I... <laughs> I don't think she got an apology. Like the family didn't even get an apology until after Google Glass started being lame. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Hila Hila is a never. really interesting case, though, because uh, I've I've looked into that a little bit, and it sounds to me like. To a certain extent, the guy who was in charge of that project was just sort of a, like, honest God, like, Rick from Rick and Morty or, like, Victor Frankenstein sort of mad scientist who didn't give a shit about where his material was coming from. That they may not, that the guy who cloned the cells, started passing them out to everybody for free, literally may not have known that she was black when that happened. So, I mean, that's that's a really interesting intersection also, where basically what you had was uh, a, a guy who was so oriented on the science he was doing that he didn't look into the provenance of this product that he was passing out. Um, I, I'm not super convinced that it would have been different if the person had been white. If the person had been white, there would have probably been an apology by now, or at least like... <laughs> Like her family should probably just have free medical. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm t- <laughs> right. like, she should just be able to yeah. like any other. She should be able to walk into any hospital. Like, eh, I think there's something wrong with me. Give me like three CAT scans. Yep. How many no, CAT scans? Eight. Eight yep. CAT scans. I'm I'm all right. I'd with like that. An, See, that, a recreational that I totally MRI. <laughs> I think uh, the way they treated her estate was completely shameful. And certainly, once it came out what her identity was, there were politics influencing like. What can, what can we get away with? You know, the original act. I don't know if it was racist. The knock on effects absolutely had a racial component to it. So yeah, I, thank you for helping me to clarify that in my head. But uh, all right, I was gonna talk about dreadlocks. Like dreadlocks yes. are the worst ver- version because the way it works is that black people make they put their hair in dreadlocks for protection because mm-hmm. they care very much about their hair right Mm -hmm. but because of white people's appropriation of dreadlocks Mm -hmm. this has led to the fact the idea that all dreadlocks are dirty and smell like rat nest 
<laughs> because That's... white people dreadlocks are, are gross? <laughs> well, it comes to that privilege thing is that there's no standard for them. Mm-hmm. So their mediocre counts as innovative. Right. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to actually take that good of care of their dreadlocks. Like, I'm like white people can't dreadlock up their hair. I'm pretty sure the galls didn't smell like ass. Yeah. 24-7. Uh, well, it's we had a friend that they did They don't that. take care of their hair. They assume it's just supposed to be easy. Right. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to, like, you have, you, have, you have to wash them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. For sure. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, the whole cornrows thing, you know, also... It, there was a story and this was like when I was a kid or something about, you know, someone that had been fired from a fast food restaurant because they had cornrows in their hair. And I think it was Wendy's and they were saying, you know, well, that's just unsanitary policy. What? Even though the whole nature of cornrows is to keep your hair, you know, as tight and as clean. I was going to say, I've got so. a full ass beard and I work in a restaurant and nobody makes me wear like a net over it. You know, a cornrow know. seems way safer from a food safety perspective. Oh, for sure. For sure. But again, it's just what excuse can we use to justify ourselves right in this moment? Right. That's, that's how it always is. You know? And even to a degree with appropriation. So, yeah, that's crazy. That concludes the first half of this episode. Our discussion of race and discrimination with our friend D. Black Rabbit. We'll have the second half posted for you in just a few days. We hope you've, well, not enjoyed, maybe, but learned from this episode. And we'll see you all again soon.